Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, verses 19 to 31 will be our passage today, and I hope you'll have that in front of you as we work our way through it. Since uh, we live in the Midwest, uh, most of us only go through tunnels when we're on vacation in the mountains, right? Uh, when we do, they're usually well-lit and only last, you know, for a minute or two at most. But we still understand the expression, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, right? You, you can imagine going down a long, dark passageway for some distance, and you can't quite tell where you're going or if you're going the right way, and then you finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> like, there's hope. Like, we're, we've, we haven't been going the wrong direction. This will soon end. Things are going to get better. And we, we've, we've been in something of a tunnel for the last, I don't know, five sermons in this series, because from the latter half of chapter one, all the way through the first two-thirds of Romans chapter three, Paul has been driving home this point to the Christians in ancient Rome. All people are under the wrath of God for their rejection of God. All, yes, both Gentiles uh, who are ignorant of God's word and the Jews who prized it, uh, all are under God's wrath. And this wrath of God is not some unreasonable uh, response of a petty tyrant. Uh, there will be true justice at the final judgment when we will all answer for what we've done. Now, that's a pretty dark tunnel if you're really tracking with it, if you're really taking that seriously. That's a pretty dark tunnel. And frankly, the only way we're going to know we're going to get through this thing out to the other side is that Paul started this letter saying, as a missionary, I am all about the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. This, yes, the wrath of God has been revealed against all the unrighteousness of men, but in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed for our salvation. Or to put it in terms of our passage today, here's the theme sentence here, the law shows how guilty we are, but the gospel shows how good God is. The law shows how guilty we are, but the gospel shows how good God is. Now, to really experience the, the brilliance of coming out of that dark tunnel into the light of verse 21, um, I'm going to back up and start reading from verse 9, a uh, big chunk of our passage last week, and we'll follow there through the end of the chapter. So, uh, Romans 3, verse 9, what then? Our in the context of final judgment, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable, held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is God's word. And there is a lot going on here, a lot of big words, complex ideas, uh, maybe hard to follow the whole uh, train of thought. So I tried to, even harder to make the outline this morning very simple. These last three paragraphs of the chapter will be three parts to our sermon. Our problem, God's solution, and our response. So, part one, our problem. We all have done wrong and cannot make ourselves right before God. To put it just really, to try to make it really clear, we all have done wrong and cannot make ourselves right before God. Now, we're focusing here on verses 19 to 20, and I know we looked at these last week, but this is what makes the, the dark tunnel a dead end without the light of Christ. Paul has been saying that judgment is coming. The wrath of God against the sin of humankind, and if there is any justice in the world, it's not hard to believe that the, the bad people are going to get it. They're, they're in big trouble. You know, Hitler, uh, that's the first one we always, like Putin now, he's getting on the list. And then, and then that, and, and that guy that was arrested last week for strangling the mother of his unborn child and setting the house on fire so that she would, to, to cover his tracks. Right? That, that was right here in Mount Morris in November of 2020. And we say, oh, it's going to be hot in hell. For those guys. But the good people are in trouble too. The, the good people. In this letter, Paul confronts the mindset of many of his fellow Jews. Oh, well, we have the, we have the law. We have God's law. We're, we're his chosen people. Surely we'll be fine at the end. But he's been, he's been hammering away at this mere possession of the law. It didn't put them in a, met, a better position at the judgment. Why? Verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. It's, it's time now here that I explain something very important yet easy to miss. Uh, our English translations are, are good, they're, they're uh, accurate, faithful, reliable as they are, but they, they just don't, it's not possible to show uh, the relationship of two key words here in our uh, passage, righteous and justify. These, have, these words have the same root in the Greek. They, they sound very similar. Uh, they start the same way. Uh, so you need to know how these words go together uh, because, again, the original hearers would have 
seen the link a lot easier. So think about righteous or righteousness. Righteous, of course, the adjective, righteousness, the, the noun, the thing. It's the, the character of someone who always does what is right. Always does what is right. They, they're, they're, they are characterized. They, they have a righteousness. They are characterized as righteous. Now, that can sound you know, kind of goody-goody if you're just thinking that being righteous you know, is sort of a smug self-righteousness. But I, I've, used, I've said this before in talking about righteousness. Do you, do, you want your, do you want your doctor to always do what is right? The, the person who holds your health and well-being, do you want, him, do you want him, him, her, always to do what's right? Do you want your banker, your broker, someone who holds your finances, your retirement, in their decisions, their integrity, and, and is, is, that, that impacts your, your resources? Do you, do you want your banker, your broker, to always do what is right? Do you want, do you want your teacher, your coach, your, your boss who has your career? Your, your job in their hands. Do, do you want them to always do what is right? Do you want your kids to always do what is right? Yeah, yeah, I, well, we want that. Well, praise God, He is righteous. He always does what is right, and so He is characterized. He, he, that's who He is. He is right. He does right. He is right. He is righteous. And He holds us to that standard of righteousness. Now, justify or justification. Now, justify the verb to justify someone or to justification, the, the noun form of the same thing. That's, that's recognizing someone's righteous standing or, or giving someone that righteous standing. Again, remember, we're in the context of final judgment. A simple way to remember that what justification means is that it's the opposite of condemnation. So, uh, rather than being found guilty and condemned, you want to be found innocent and declared righteous uh, to be justified, yet our problem is no one's innocent. So, what hope do we have of being justified? Paul says no one can justify themselves by doing what the law says. Obeying the law is good, don't get, don't get me wrong, but no one does it perfectly, completely. And if we're honest, we all fall short of even our own standards, let alone God's. Whether we consider God's law as uh, that which was given uh, through Moses to Israel or God's law communicated through, the, through uh, an understanding of the conscience in every single human being, we all fall short of God's law. Paul is saying God's law is the standard by which we are judged, not a checklist by which we may be exonerated. The law shows how guilty we are. Now, do, you, do you see how dark this tunnel is? How dark this dead end is without some kind of light? If there's any justice in the universe, and you will be judged impartially for the wrong you have done, and you cannot justify yourself by the good you have done, what will you have to say for yourself when you stand before God? Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Don't think that you will say, someday you're going to stand before God, the judge, and you will say, how dare you judge me? I mean, you know, I'd like, there's some things in the world, going on in the world, that I'd like to have you answer for. Russians shooting missiles at maternity hospitals, 
You let that happen, and God will say, they will have their turn. Right now, this is about you. Nor will you stand before God and say, well, you know, I think if you uh, really look at my entire body of work, um, you will find that the, the good really outweighs the bad. And God will say, I do not grade on the curve, and you cannot justify yourself. That's our problem. That's your problem. That's my problem. We all have done wrong and cannot make ourselves right before God. If there's going to be a solution, a salvation, it's going to have to come from somewhere, from someone else. Praise God. That's what, that's what we get. Next. So, this is part two. God's solution. Our problem, God's solution. God does right by punishing sin, yet redeeming sinners who trust in Christ. So, verse 21, but now. Like that, just, just there, we're, we're already starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now, sometimes that phrase, the righteousness of God, refers to the righteousness that God has. Again, He is righteous. He has righteousness as a character trait, character quality. Um, his character is the one who always is right, specifically, even in judging. But I think there's good reason to say that this particular phrase is, describes a righteousness from God, that righteousness of God, the of can, is, can be flexible in those ways, a righteousness that He has, possesses, or a righteousness that is from God, made available to people who cannot make themselves right. Now, I could point you to Philippians 3 to, to see this more clearly. Uh, encourage you to read that this afternoon. I can't go there this morning. But see how, but see, just from our passage, see how this follows from what he just said. No, he just said no human being can justify themselves through obedience to the law, even though there had been the popular opinion, the common assumption among Jews at least, that the righteousness of man, my, like my human righteousness, is manifest through the law, my, my obedience to it. Now it's clear the righteousness of God is manifest apart from the law. So he's shifted two things from righteousness of man to righteousness of God, righteousness through the law, righteousness in Christ. Even better, instead of righteousness through the law, by law-keeping, how is righteousness through Christ obtained? By faith in Him. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. Let me just read this, what 21, 22 says. But now the righteousness of God has been, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The simple trust in Christ. And there's more, of course, to say about this. Uh, but, but now, can you appreciate how much better this is? Relying, faith, belief, trust, relying on someone else rather than relying on yourself. Let's just start there. Now, when it comes to self-reliance, there's a world of difference between an 18-year-old and an 18-month-old. I think you understand this, right? If the, if the 18-year-old is still waiting for mom and dad to, to hold the spoon, there's a problem. If the 18-month-old, who might be starting to learn such things, but if the 18-month-old is fighting mom and dad for the spoon, that's a problem too. 
So even though as a young and growing human being, you should be maturing and growing into better and wiser behavior, you do need to know what you can and cannot handle. And here's the thing, you and I are not capable of justifying ourselves before God. We need the righteousness that comes from God through Christ. Now, here's the thing, your, your brain is still trying to absorb these big words, righteousness and justification, and then Paul gives us two more balls to juggle, all right? We've got two more big words, redemption and propitiation. Redemption has to do with paying a price to set someone free, either uh, purchasing for the slave his or her freedom or uh, paying a debt so that the debtor is released from their obligation. When it, when it comes to sin, folks, we are debtors and we are slaves. But verse 24, we are justified through the redemption in Christ Jesus. How was a price paid to set us free? Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Uh, propitiation there is a technical word in the Greek language and culture of uh, Paul's day as, as an offering that would satisfy or placate the wrath of the gods. But, but this very same word um, was not just a, in, that, in that culture, it was because it was also used to translate the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, it was used in describing the Old Testament sacrifices and even more specifically, the mercy seat in the tabernacle of Israel. The place where uh, at the, the top, the, the cover of the, the Ark of the Covenant, where the blood was sprinkled on the day of atonement. Oh, these are things we could, we could go into uh, much more detail on it. But, but here's the thing. Paul doesn't go into a lot of detail here. And what seems very subtle to us, Paul, Paul doesn't mention Jesus' crucifixion, um, you know, that he, he was whipped and then he was nailed to the cross and then he died and then he... Came. We'll, we'll talk more about his death and resurrection going forward, but he doesn't mention any of that. He just, all he mentions is Christ's blood as a propitiation. His, his readers, especially the Jews, would have heard this loud and clear. Jesus died as a sacrifice to pay for our sins when we trust in him. That's what the, the sacrifice of atonement was all about. And that's how, with your sins paid, with your sins covered by the blood, with, when the death that you deserved has been, well, someone has died for your sins, died in your place. That's how you and I can avoid God's wrath against all unrighteousness. This is the light at the end of the tunnel. If God would give you righteousness, if he would give me righteousness, that would make all the difference when we stand before God in judgment. We could be justified rather than condemned. Are you following? Now, even, even better, don't, don't just think of this as a, as a puzzle to be put together or as a, as a bit of theology to be worked out in your head. You understand, this means you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear final judgment. You don't have to wonder about 
eternal destiny. You don't have to be afraid that, that, that God is somehow disappointed in you, that he will turn his back, he will see you, and he will turn his back on you. We sing this sometimes, this, the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Is that your testimony? Do you stand forgiven at the cross? I'm sure I'm speaking largely to people who have said, yeah, that's what I believe. That's what I'm holding on to. This is my hope, my faith. But it's worth asking just, just because there are people, I don't know where you're at. I don't know, frankly, maybe you've been here and, and maybe we're all kind of assuming, well, yeah, they're, I mean, they're in, right? I mean, they're just kind of with us, but, but are you? Uh, and not, not with us, with Christ, with Christ. Are you with him? Are you trusting Jesus right now, receiving God's gift to you? You can, you can decide to like, here, from, from now on, I'm not going to rely on myself. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold on to what I've done or haven't done. Uh, I'm going to look instead to Jesus. I'm going to stop assuming, assuming that I'm good enough, assuming that I'm okay, and ex- instead acknowledging your sin, turning from it, turning instead to Christ, put your faith and hope in Him, and feel the relief, the freedom that He purchased for you. And I hope that's what you're feeling. Even if you're here, you came today like, well, yeah, I believe that. I hope, I hope this feels a little more real, a little, a little more powerful and more true to you. But on the other hand, you might be thinking, boy, Paul's making this complicated. I mean, doesn't God just, you know, he just forgives us, right? He just, he just forgives our sins. He just kind of, you know, looks the other way or sweeps them under the rug or something. I don't know. Um, well, let me try to paraphrase the middle of verse 25 and in verse 26. He's, he's saying, Jesus, dying as a sacrifice to pay for our sins, showed God's righteousness. Now, now he's changed here because I think he's not talking about the righteousness that he gives, but the righteousness that God has, okay? The righteousness of God. Because, because going forward, he says, because God had not judged all sins immediately, it could seem that God was unrighteous. Like, God, you're not being fair. You're not being just. You're just letting all this go on. All, these pe- all, all this killing, all, this, all these lies, all, all, the, all this power struggle, all, all this corruption and greed and exploitation. God, you're letting all this happen. You're unrighteous. He says, no, Jesus' death showed that sin will be paid for. Injustice will not be ignored. If you've been abused, God does not sweep that under the rug. It will be paid for either at the cross or in hell, one way or another. But here's the even better side of that. Not just that, that God shows him that sin will be paid for, so God shows that he is indeed just. He is both just, he punishes all sin, and he is the justifier of the sinner who has faith in Jesus. See that, you know why that's better news? Because if God is just, if, if we just stopped, God is just, he will punish all sin one day, then we're all doomed. Some of us might be better than others. Some of us, you know, some we might think we'll have a hotter place in hell. But if God just, he's, he is just, he will judge all sin one day. Not good news. And he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
That means, that's the, that's the better part of it, because that means we can be saved. We, we who? We, we, you know, churchy, religious types. No, no, we, anyone. It, like, anyone, anyone? Because, like, he, he's saying, yes, both, both the Gentile and the Jew, the, the blatantly immoral, think back to chapter 1 and all the, the litany of, of wickedness, like, just, yes, the blatantly immoral can be saved, and the, and the prim and proper moralist, the, the social outcast, and the upstanding citizen. Because when it comes to ju- judgment, we're really, we're all the same. None is righteous. All are accountable to God. No human being can justify themselves. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all there, we're all there and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all, implied, are justified by His grace as a gift received by faith. The law shows how guilty we are, but the gospel shows how good God is. If you just want somebody to say, oh, you're not that bad, you're okay. At some point, you're going to not believe that because you really know. You know the truth. And so I hope this doesn't sound too harsh. Well, the law shows how guilty we are, but the gospel shows how good God is. What about me? You need him to be this good. You need him to be this good. It's because he's this good that we can be saved and not just spared judgment. What we're going to see as we go through chapter 5 and 6 and, and on into 8 and so on, there's, there's a lot, lot more good stuff coming. But just for now, start here. Spared the wrath of God that we deserve. Now, if Paul were uh, preaching this in the forum in Rome, just for example, instead of sitting maybe in Corinth and writing a letter uh, to, to Rome, he, he probably wrapped this up with an appeal uh, for everyone, I want everyone here, like, like I did just a moment ago, everyone here, I hope that you are trusting in Jesus today for the forgiveness of your sins. That's not what he does. This is a letter actually to Christians, and he's been, he's really working through a, a theological argument. Uh, he's, he's, he's arguing for a very particular understanding of the gospel that we are not justified by, by having the law or even obeying the law, but we are justified as a gift of God's grace received by faith. So what difference does that make? How does that change our attitude and our outlook if that is indeed what we believe? This brings us to the last part of the sermon, our response. Justified by grace through faith, together we exalt the righteous Redeemer. Verse 27. Then... Having said all this, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. There's only one God who will justify the the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, Paul goes back to this question and answer format that we saw 
early in the chapter, uh, but these, these are not questions that he anticipates from his readers. Uh, these are questions he is pushing on them. He is forcing them to consider so that they and we will really have to think about, so where does this gospel lead? Where does it take us? What are the implications here? And the last question there in verse 31 is prompted by Paul's claim, okay, justification is by faith, not by works of the law. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? No, we uphold the law. And he's going to explain and defend that in the next chapter. So I'm not going to comment further on that little question and answer in verse 31. Go back to verse 27 that I began the, uh, this paragraph in reading. Then what becomes of our boasting? And what Paul has in mind here is a very specific kind of boasting. Back in chapter 2, verse 23, he said, You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. He was pointing out the inconsistency of the Jews who had the law. You can't brag about the fact that you have the law. Oh, we're good. We're moral people. When you're breaking it, when you're breaking the law. Now, some might expect him to go from there and say, Hey, you guys need a more consistent obedience. Like, stop with the hypocrisy. Oh, we say this, but then we do this. No, he doesn't challenge uh, them to stop being hypocritical, though that would be good. That kind of integrity uh, is good. But when it comes to our justification before God at the final judgment, we need a righteousness that is not based on our performance. And if that's the case, boasting is just right out. It is excluded. It's not on the table. Think about why, why do we boast? Don't, don't think in religious terms. Don't think of boasting about your good works or whatever. Just why do we boast? We think we deserve some kind of recognition for the good job we've done. And I mean, hey, if you just nailed your role in the high school musical, you should feel good about that. And, you know, accepting the applause, great, enjoy it. But if you think that you're going to come to the end of your life before the judge and he's going to give you a standing ovation, not on your performance, not on mine. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you probably know these verses well. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one. What that means is, Christians, not just those who identify as Christian, but a believer in Jesus, uh, one who has re- recognizes that, man, the only way I'm in, the only, the only hope I have is that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Christians should be, then be the least self-righteous, the most humble people, not because we're trying really hard to be more humble than everyone else, like this is some kind of competition that, you know, we're going to win. No, because, because being uh, the, the more, more fundamental, more foundational than all our accomplishments, any good that we have done is the perfect work of Christ that we have received as a gift. That's how we are justified. Now, you want to know something else that this means? Not just, hey, you're tempted to boast, you know, stop that. If you really bombed in your role in the high school musical, if you're afraid that you'll never be a real standout in anything, 
or if you've failed in your career, in your marriage. Failed at life. This is the good news. Because you can give up on justifying yourself. You don't need to. You don't have to prove that you're good enough. You don't have to be better than anyone else. You don't have to downplay your failures or inflate your successes. Instead of boasting in yourself and thereby blaspheming God, you can live for Jesus with what he has given you and he gets the glory. You can do that. You're you're free to do that. You can rest in who he says you are and rest in him. Now, I want you to see, too, from this passage that, not, that boasting is not just a personal character issue and an individualized uh, problem. You know, I've got pride in my heart. It's a, it's a social issue. It's a relational issue, too. You know this. Boasting is never just about me being a little more visible. It's about me being better than you. And I want everybody else to see that. I want you to see that. I want everyone to recognize and give me more praise than they're giving you. If justification by faith takes, uh, apart from the works of the law, takes away Jewish boasting, then it levels the playing field. Verses 23 and 24, all have sinned and all are justified by his grace as a gift. And this is just coming at the same issue from another angle. You can't think this way, like, well, we have God and you don't, or what we're in, you're out, and, and you can't get in on the relationship that, that I have with God, that we have with God. Is God, is the God who has revealed himself to the Jews some sort of a localized tribal deity? Is he some sort of regional franchise uh, preferred by a, a portion of the population, like, you know, Culver's in the Midwest and In-N-Out Burger in California and, you know, Whataburger in Texas? No, 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 God is the creator of the world, of all humankind. He's the God of every continent, every nation, of every ethnicity. Jesus is the Savior of all, regardless of one's history and culture, because he saves anyone who trusts in him. That's good news for for us, because most of us here, I believe, are Gentiles. And, and, And apart from that being true, we're not in. We can get in because it's by faith. It's by grace through faith. It's in Jesus. We could turn it around, or maybe we could ask the question a different way for, for our situation, because most of us here, having been a believer for maybe quite some time, maybe for your whole lifetime, you, you grew up going to church, knowing the Bible, trusting Jesus. Is God the God of Americans only? Is God the God of white people only? Thank God that although some have expressed that attitude down through history, the light at the end of the tunnel has still shined brightly enough that people of all nations, of all colors, uh, everywhere on the social ladder have come to faith in Jesus, to the glory and praise of God. And in the church, the assembly of those who have been saved by grace, we should be something of a motley crew. We should be something of a a mixed bag. (laughs) 
Every, everyone from the, the kid with perfect Sunday school attendance and hundreds of scripture verses memorized to the recovering alcoholic who's still trying to get back on their feet. It should be, there should be the, the budding Bible scholar who's digging deep into theology and the person who's still figuring out the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament and what does that even mean? Thank God we've got all kinds of people in the church. I pray we have in the life of this church. We may not be as, uh, we, could, we could wish for more socioeconomic diversity. We could, we could wish for more uh, variety in the color of our skin. We're, we're just a pretty uh, monochromatic uh, area, but we, we, we could wish for more, and we, we should uh, be delighted for whatever variety that God gives us, because that speaks to the to how good the gospel is, how, how good God is that we see in the gospel. If we present ourselves as the place, well, only for middle-class people or only for those who agree on the merits of recycling or a certain position on the vaccination, like, we, we've lost the gospel. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you can't have convictions and strong feelings and, and make your case for how you feel about all those things and many, many more issues. But if we say, well, this church is only for us. We've lost the gospel. We can't afford that. But when we know ourselves to be a community of sinners who've been justified by grace through faith, not boasting in a way that lifts ourselves and divides us from one another, but looking only to Jesus in a way that unites us, united in him, then together we exalt the righteous redeemer. The law just shows us how guilty we are, but the, the gospel shows how good God is, how good Jesus is. That's, that's what we want radiating from this place. To turn, turn it around, that, that if, if Christ is the light at the end of the tunnel, may we be a, a, a lighthouse shining in a, in a dark, dark world, pointing not to ourselves, look at us, but pointing to Jesus. May that be who we are, always lifting him up, our Savior. Father, we pray that you would save us. Not only we pray that you'd save us from our sins that would justify us at the final judgment, that would you... Would you save us from abandoning this gospel, of, of making this about me and what I've done, or letting, letting even the grace that you've worked in us to make us better than we used to be turn around and make that a point of, a point of pride? Look how good we are. Look how bad they are. Oh, God, help us. Help us to see how good you are and how good it is to be found in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.